You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm Meryl Arnett, mama, meditator, and co-owner of Sacred Chill West. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a 20-minute guided meditation. Hey, y'all. As we get started today, I just want to take a moment to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, Manta Sleep. So Manta Sleep makes products for a better night's sleep. They specialize in eye masks. They have sound machines. They have weighted blankets. And so I'm going to tell you a real quick story about my experience with eye masks. Um, So at night, when my partner and I go to bed, I pick up a book, read for 10 minutes, roll over and go to sleep. And my partner goes down the wormhole of the internet for sometimes hours. And the light from his computer sometimes drives me a little bit insane. And I have tried eye masks in the past, of course, everybody has, but either the band has cut into my head or because I'm a stomach sleeper, it's gotten all twisted and not covered my eyes and been uncomfortable. It's never worked. So recently I was lucky enough to try out a Manta sleep mask and y'all, I am not exaggerating. I am not saying this because they're a sponsor. This is legitimately the most comfortable thing I have ever put on my face. The fabric is so soft. It is zero pressure. And when I say zero pressure, I mean zero pressure. And somehow they have designed it so well that I can sleep on my stomach and this thing stays on my eyes and feels comfortable. I'm obsessed with this mask. It's hysterical. I will not sleep a night without it now. And I'm super happy to get to share it with you because I really, truly believe in it. Mindful Minute listeners save 10% on all products from Manta Sleep. Use code MINDFUL10, M-I-N-D-F-U-L-1-0, at mantasleep.com. So welcome, you guys, to today's episode of the Mindful Minute. I am so excited to share today's episode with you because I have with me my favorite person in the world, slash business partner, slash friend, Octavia Rahim. Octavia, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, So... Octavia and I have walked this yoga, meditation, self-inquiry path together for many, many years. And currently we co-own a yoga studio together. And um, Octavia has now written her first book, which I'm really excited that you guys are getting a sneak peek into today. But I want to start, Octavia, if you could just tell us a little bit about you and what your stillness practice is in your life? Mm, So I am a former power hot yoga teacher (laughs) who um, swept my way to stillness, I guess, uh, or came to stillness uh, kicking and screaming and dragging from all of my um, doing and going and pushing and pulling and hot yoga That is just a lot of words to say. I've taught yoga for, what, 13 or 14 years and practiced for 16 or seven years. And I didn't start with stillness. I started with a lot of activity, a lot of emphasis on posture and movement and 
um, how to get it just right. And I still bow to those teachers, those asanas, that doorway, because it's what brought me here. But ultimately, as my life has expanded to include uh, mothering, business owning, (laughs) and being a devoted partner and wife, the space to just have a practice that requires the the physical energy and exertion that the movement practices did is like, that's not what I'm really willing to make space for anymore. And so my stillness practice, my movement practice evolved to being a stillness practice really out of the necessity. My life is full of so much um, movement and doing and demanding that I needed a practice that invited me into a softer, more spacious place, which doesn't necessarily mean easier. Um, So right now, my personal stillness practice is primarily um, empowered wisdom yoga nidra. If um, I also practice restorative yoga, I practice yin yoga, I meditate. In my dream life, I would do all of those things or some practice that includes all of those things every single day. And my real life, (laughs) that's not what I do. What I do every single day, no matter what, is yoga nidra, um, because it allows me to touch into all the different spaces that yin restorative meditation would allow me to, but in one, in one practice. So talk to us a little bit about yoga nidra. That's not something that I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, So the listeners here, for the most part, have some sort of meditation practice, which is what I practice every day. And yet I also practice yoga nidra. And um, I know you and I have talked about this distinction between the two, but how do you perceive that yoga nidra practice? What is that like for you? You know, um, Probably years ago, I would have been like, you lay down for yoga nidra, you don't lay down for meditation, which is actually, it's not true. You could lay down for both or you could sit up for both. Um, and I, I think that another way I describe yoga nidra is the space of consciousness between wakefulness, dreaming, and sleeping, but yet is neither. And my experience of yoga nidra has been one of a kind of space that doesn't happen in any other practice, right? This maybe sounds completely weird and strange, you know, but I feel like through it in yoga nidra, I go into this void or I have access to a layer of my consciousness and being that I don't have access to in any other practice yet. I always feel restored after practicing yoga nidra and more awake and vibrant as well. How's that for an answer? That's a beautiful answer. (laughs) You know, I think it's so interesting um, because as you know, I've really tossed and turned over the distinction between the two. How do they, how do they serve the same purpose or different purposes? And so for the listener who's been doing this mindfulness meditation practice, you know, our primary emphasis is really staying on can I observe my thoughts without getting lost in them? And that practice over time eventually takes us deeper and deeper until we're really finding these spaces that feel quieter, 
or, or um, maybe more introspective. And what I found in Yoga Nidra is that rather than working through the layer of thinking, it's almost as if you're starting in a deeper place, which is a really interesting experience to have. So, um, and it brings me really truly to your book, which is called Gather, and it's being released to the world on June 1st. And I just want to start by reading what you've written on the back. Gather is a collection of soulful sayings poetry, and flashes of insight sewn together into a sacred garment. Each thread was collected with reverence and care. The words here will weave their way into your heart and become a soft cover for you to land on. When I read that, what I glean from it is perhaps you're pulling these wisdoms from your practice. Can you tell us about your journey to writing this book? Yes. So, my journey to writing this book started with the Yoga Nidra training last summer that you and I were a part of. And, you know, I don't know how much context I can create for someone listening who hasn't done that training, but one of the practices we did brought us to um, uh, meditate or contemplate our future selves and to see our future self offering us two objects that we needed to utilize as tools or that we need in the present and to carve our way or make our way into our future. And my future self handed me in this practice, a pen and a paper, simple, right? (laughs) But she like just kind of pushed it forward. Like, here you go. These again, You already, like, almost like she's saying, you already know this. And so a part of my yoga nature practice, and likely yours too, is engage the practice, come out of practice, we journal, right? Because the insights often come beyond the practice. And so outside of the practice, I'm journaling, and I'm like, here I am using pen and paper, right? The tools my future self gave me, the tools that have been my constant companions in life, the tools that um, before there was yoga, there was me and a pen and a paper, but I had just kind of pushed them to to the side. And so re-encountering these tools in kind of like the deep space of yoga nidra and then coming to my own clarity around like, okay, I need to will these tools toward my future. I committed to a new practice last summer, which was a new old practice, I'll say, a practice I had just let and fallen by the wayside. And that was just to, to write every single day, period. Right, write for at least 10 to 20 minutes a day, like people might meditate or practice something else for 10 to 20 minutes a day. And so I do my yoga nature practice. I journal from the practice, but then my commitment was to write beyond the practice or the simple journaling. So I started that way. And as I'm writing and writing and feeling pages and pages of journals, I start to realize that (laughs) I might be writing something that's not just for me and not just, um, yeah, that's not just for me. And so I start to share some of the things I'm writing on social media, like we do. And just about every time I would share something that I wrote out of my writing ritual time, someone would go, are you writing a book? 
when's your book coming out? What are you doing with all of this? And I didn't really stop to think, well, what am I going to do with all of this? I just kept writing. And then at some point, I start to look at all the writings and I realized that they have common threads. And I start to gather the threads. I start to relook at my journals, relook at my writings. And these common threads emerge. I realized that I'm writing about my ancestors and my lineage and what legacy I hope to leave. I realize I'm writing about summoning or gathering courage to to live the life we feel like we're intended to live or to walk out our dharma or purpose. And then I realized that I'm writing about the power of rest to support us in all of those things. And so I literally take all of these writings that were scattered between Facebook, Instagram, my journals, emails I'm sending people that just happen to be poetic. And I just start going through them, gathering them together and looking looking for the threads and um, where they connect. And I put them all together in this book that has these three session, sections, gather ancestors, gather courage and gather rest. And, but the, the writings emerged from me listening deeply and resting deeply and also just simply committing to a practice every single day for months on end and clearly now the rest of my life. Um, so I couldn't have written Gather without committing to a practice. And I couldn't have written Gather without my yoga nidra practice because it's very much, um, I was going into this place, we can call it like a liminal space, a space in between worlds and accessing I'd say a deeper wisdom than if I'm just sitting on the surface of my life, then I would necessarily access and then take the time to write down and make it into something that I can share with the world. So Gather came about from daily yoga nidra practice and daily writing, and then um, my willingness to <laughs> gather my own scattered pieces and trust that, you know, it was worthy of, you know, something that I could join together and share. You know, I think that um, that deeper wisdom that you speak of writing from, to me, that's the thing that really leapt off the page as I was reading this book is, you know, it doesn't feel like you're giving me surface instructions to, to live a better life. And there's no instruction at all, but instead it's these, shared insights that are so instantly asking you to reflect within yourself and then you've given us the space so you've created space after each writing with a little journal prompt so that you actually can really invite that reflection into your own practice so the way I read this book was I would sit down I would read a page, I would read the journal prompt, and then I would go into my meditation practice for however long it was that day. And then I'd come out and I would do my journaling that I always do at the end of a meditation practice. And I'd write some about my own practice. And I'd always make sure to answer the journal prompt. And so some of these pieces just really, there were pages that I almost felt like, gosh, I want to rip this out and frame it. So I remember... <laughs> 
the insight that this gifted me. And one of them, you know, which you've been kind enough to share with me you know, many times in conversation, but in particular, it jumped out at me was within this, um, the first section, which is gather ancestors. And honestly, prior to having a relationship with you, that was not something that was on my radar. And so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about, about how you incorporate that relationship with ancestors and that reflection with ancestors into the way that you move through your life. You know, so Maya Angelou has this quote, I come as one and I stand as 10,000. I think about growing up Black and in the rural South, I feel like I early on recognized, like I've had to live with what it means to be a part of a lineage and legacy and to reckon with lineage and legacy on a pretty much daily basis since, you know, as early as I can remember um, family history and state history and national history, world history, how to even get here has been such a big part of who I am. And my mama always talks about me being four years old and making the connection between being called African-American and that that meant that my origin was in Africa. But then how did I get here and what does it mean to be American and African? And so I don't, you know, like that, I feel like that was something that was born with me, this like, um, connection to and awareness that I come from people and I come from something. And um, in West African tradition, there's this idea of Sankofa. And Sankofa, one translation of it is to go back and to get it. And to, to me, I just simply translate that into remember. And remember is to to collect or gather or return to something that you already knew, you know? And so that awareness of being one and 10,000 has been with me for as long as I can remember. And for me, I have found it incredibly healing to engage with my present self in the world with the awareness that I have ancestors and I have legacy. And I'm always curious about what it would mean in the context of America if people, no matter their kind of ethnic or racial background, really connected to, remembered, and were willing to examine their ancestors, who they were, and what that legacy is, and then to start thinking critically about what kind of ancestors or legacy we want to leave that is um, more fruitful than the ones we might have been left with. You know, and then in that kind of liminal space that is yoga nidra, (laughs) I'm just going to go all the way out there. (laughs) Your listeners might be like, what is she talking about? But, you know, it's like I've seen my ancestors, meaning I've seen people who crossed the threshold into the next world come and offer wisdom or invite me to remember something or show me an image that then I go, oh, that's that heirloom that my my mother has in her house, you know? And so in another kind of West African tradition that um, I started my wedding this way, I started my wedding with 
with a libation, which is to remember and to call the names of your ancestors. And so for me, it also felt really fitting to start my book with the verbal libation of, I remember you. And because I remember you and because I move with this awareness that I am one and 10,000, um, that's how gather could exist. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't exist alone, you know? And so remembering ancestors is also just, it's a whole nother healing tool, right? Whether what we have to face about our ancestors is something that feels like really dark and heavy. Um, I would gather that everyone has that within their lineage. I've, I've found it looking back a powerful way to be present and also start to imagine and reimagine the, the now and future. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it, does, it does answer my question. And you know what I think is so interesting is, so for context, you know, we're recording this at the very end of May 2020. Um, and so we're still in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. And yes. it feels incredibly to me at least, it feels incredibly messy and scary and divisive and groundless. You know, I, mm. I more often than not am finding myself feeling a sense of panic around mm. where is our country going? How is this possibly going to be okay? Will people ever come together? Will people do the right thing? You know, it, it can spiral very quickly. And this practice that you offer of remembering has really created the sense of grounding I need in such a groundless moment, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. No, you know? yeah, it really does. It does make sense. Um, yeah, so part of starting Gather with Gather Ancestors was also my moment of uh, Sankofa. It's like a, it's my libation to I, I am because you are, and the you are is, you know, my grandmother and my great-grandmother and her mother and her mother's mother, you know, my father and his father, you know, and so that, that awareness um, is what I started with, gather the ancestors. <laughs> and so you gather these ancestors <laughs> and then you take us through gathering courage. Tell us a little bit about courage. What is this to you? Um, so, so a kind of mantra that I live by is I can be scared and brave at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we hear the cliche that courage is not the absence of fear. You know, um, is fear is likely present and we decide that something's more important than fear. You know, and so a lot of what I'm writing about in Gather Courage, um, just kind of when I look back through it is, gathering the courage to create the life of your dreams or a life that you're imagining or a life that you're envisioning or a life that, you know, maybe no one in your family had an opportunity to create or had the idea or thought to create or a life that is somehow outside the boundaries of what we um, consider status quo or the norm. And so Gather Courage was really... <laughs> You know, it's kind of like letters I wrote to myself. You know, you and I, we own a yoga studio. We we do work that's not um, 
what what what's the right word? We do atypical work in this one sense, right? Like we are charting a course of our own that a blueprint for it doesn't exist. And um, you know, it's like we set out with the the flashlight or the the torch of our dreams into this kind of wilderness to see what what we could forge. And I think that requires a lot of courage. And so gather courage is really notes to myself <laughs> to to keep the light of my own courage going. But but it's also like the some of the wisdom I've gained from being scared and also being brave at the same time and deciding moment by moment and day by day that something is way more important than um than my fear, you know, and that something being my 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 own well-being, my my family, the well-being of my community and the the world, right? You know, and so gather courage is is a place where I've gathered courage from and uh hopefully wisdom to support people who might be in their own, you know, wilderness to trust that just take one step, sit down when you need to. Okay, take one more step, lay down when you need to. Now you're crawling. It's okay. You know, oh, it's not okay. Keep breathing. <laughs> you know, just like courage isn't, um, I always think I'm like, courage isn't necessarily the hero in the movie. It's my mother, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's you, it's me, it's, um, it's, it's all the the people battling with what does it mean to work and homeschool and do all these things in my house all the time right now. Like that, that takes courage to not completely check out on it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I yeah. think that's gathering courage. Um, and so we do this hard work <laughs> of being brave while we're scared. Of not checking out. And I think you really brilliantly bring us to gather rest and the importance of rest, whether it's an actual stillness practice like mm -hmm. meditation or yoga nidra, whether that's a nap, whatever your practice of rest is that's needed in the moment. The one that really jumped out at me, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe you'd be nice enough to read to us is on nine, page 93. And the section of this letter says, self-love is an energy and action. I'm worthy of the time it takes to love and nourish myself deeply. And when I read this, I thought, well, this is the answer to every single person who <laughs> says to me, I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> Would you read us your letter on this? This was a, really a letter to myself. <laughs> full, disclose, full disclosure. <laughs> um, so it starts, can you relate to this? Let's say I commit to a three times a week practice starting on Monday. Day one, great, I practiced. Day two, okay, I'm going to start my practice. Day three, um, I'm too busy. My son oddly woke up too many times last night. I have too many meetings today. I have too many emails. Now too many Zoom calls. I just can't deal. Next week, the same thing, except now day two is looking like day three. A pattern forms and continues. 
Now weeks have turned into months. I'd say something to myself like, don't beat yourself up for not practicing or doing that nourishing thing for yourself. That's not kind. You don't need another thing to feel bad about. Isn't the real beating staying in the cycle of not nourishing and honoring ourselves? Doesn't that further perpetuate feeling bad more than holding myself accountable for doing what I said I would do to fuel myself? Here's the thing. The not kind thing is ignoring my own needs. The not kind thing is denying self the deeper breath. The not kind thing is refusing to ask for support or help when we need it. The not kind thing is allowing our boundaries to be so porous that our energy is continuously leaking out. And for me, it's not resting or overcommitting. And it's also something seemingly simple like not drinking enough water makes me feel really porous. The not kind thing is running on E and continuing to run. Being kind to myself is being brave enough to commit to myself and keeping those commitments. This is brave because it it requires me staring down so much conditioning, so many systems and beliefs simply to honor myself. It's remembering and owning. Self-love is an energy and an action. I'm worthy of the time it takes to love and nourish myself deeply. Hell, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I... Yeah, I definitely wrote that for myself to remember. Uh, You know, I think we have a warped idea of what kind is. (laughs) And um, I think women, we receive lots of conditioning. Like the kind thing to do is to always be available to everyone else. And um, it's like a muscle we have to build to like question that and then to go, well, what? What's kind for me? You know, so the inquiry at the end of that is what does kind, being kind to myself actually look like? You know, um, what, you know, more questions we could ask is, well, what does that actually feel like? And, you know, then we might have to ask the question is, who can I, um, who do I need to rally to support me in being more kind to myself? You know, holding me accountable to being kind to myself or supporting me in it. You know, so, I mean, we've all had that. We start off like, I'm going to do it. This is good for me. And then it's like, oh, but this is just another thing to do. And so for me, you know, I'm going to practice yoga nidra every day. And what I, you know, if I have a to-do list and something has to go off of it for me to do my practice, now I just like have to take something off the list to do my practice. And, you know, me a year or two ago, like I would have had so much guilt and even shame or fear, like what's the consequence of that? But now I think like, what's the consequence of me feeling like a bat out of hell all day? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, know, like I've, I've lived with that consequence. My family's lived with it. You've probably been the beneficiary of it. You know how some people are like, don't talk to me before coffee. It's like, well, listen, if I don't have a plan for my practice or I haven't practiced, you might, you know. And it's not like practice is the crux. It's just like we all need a moment. You know, everyone needs needs some space in the day for just just space. 
Yes. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, it's so interesting. I'll tell you just because this is such a real life moment. So I am sitting in my closet recording this <laughs> podcast with you over Zoom. You are sitting in your house. We both have little children. All of them are home. I'm sure there's being, you know, I'm like listening to my kids yell in the background. And I'm sure it's being picked up by the microphone and there's not much to be done about it. And so all day I was like, oh, I got to record this interview. I hope the kids take a nap. Of course, they're not taking the nap. And so what did I do? I came in this closet 10 minutes early and I laid on this floor. Because <laughs> sometimes we have to just say, what do I need to do to be able to do the thing that has to be done today? Yes. Right? And yes. for me, it was, I just needed a few minutes to be silent, be still, not respond to kids in order to do this great thing that we're doing, which I love. So thank you for that writing, because that's one that's going to be framed on the wall for me. And I bet for many of the listeners, you heard it here first, do the practice first. And because this is what we're preaching today, maybe Octavia, you would be kind enough to lead us in a practice to end the podcast with. Sure. You know what I had thought about and planned, and you can tell me if you think it's still still fitting, was just a gather courage practice. <laughs> but since we just talked about rest, I'm like, hmm, maybe we should just breathe and rest. Do you have a preference? I don't have a preference. Go with your gut. Hmm. So we'll do courage. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, so take a seat, whatever feels good, truly. It can be in a chair, it can be in your closet like Merle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting up in a swirly desk chair. Um, hips against the ground, our feet against the ground. And then close your eyes. And as soon as you close your eyes, just take maybe two or three breaths in through your nose and out of your mouth. The out of your mouth can be a sigh. It can be a yawn. It can sound however it needs to. We'll do that two more times, breathing in through the nose. And breathing out with a sigh. And then one more time, breathing in. And then breathing out. And then you just close your mouth and sit and breathe. Noticing your body, if there are any shifts that need to be made, making them now. Feeling each inhalation as a gathering. Feeling each exhalation as a releasing.
for a moment, noticing the movement of the breath. So that's the inhale and the exhale. But then over the course of the next breath or two, allowing your awareness and attention to start to gather at the space in between the inhale and exhale. So you start to notice that moment of stillness between the movement. In a world that is spinning, spinning mad and always rushing to the next thing and always doing. It's an act of courage to be still. And so we'll notice the space in between the vital movement of inhale and exhale. And we'll consider it an act of courage to let our attention begin to linger in that place of pause of stillness. We don't have to make that space any longer than it organically is. We also don't have to rush over it or past it either. So we're just inhaling and noticing the pause and exhaling and noticing the pause. Gathering and inhale, pausing, releasing, and exhale and pause. Continue to breathe that way and at each pause, just start to silently say to yourself, courage. And then just a few more breaths, noticing where you start to feel courage as a sensation, a vibration, or energy in your body. So we inhale and in that space of pausing, we just silently say courage. And at that space after the exhale, we just silently say courage. your dominant hand to your heart, the palm flat, inhale, silently say courage. You bring your free hand on top of that hand right at your heart, you inhale, courage, exhale, courage. And then you take a deep breath into your nose and allow the exhalation 
to be a courageous one. Let it be however you need and want it to be. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you, Octavia, for sharing a practice with us, for sharing your book with us. You guys, you can find Gather. Um, I know on Amazon as of June 1, where else? Anywhere else, Octavia? Or is that where I should tell people to find it? Tell people that's where they can go. You can, you know, find it on my webpage, but you're still going to go back to Amazon. But that's OctaviaRaheem.com backslash gather. And on social media, what's your links? I am Octavia Raheem. Octavia Rahim, thank you. I'll put links to everything in the show notes, you guys, so you can find it. Gather is a beautiful gift to yourself in terms of reflection, in terms of exploration, um, and inspiration as well. So add it to your meditation practice. I know you won't be sorry. Thank you, Octavia. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would take time to leave a review or share this with somebody you think would enjoy it. To learn more about my in-person and virtual offerings, visit MerylArnett.com or check me out on Instagram at MerylArnett. Thanks, y'all. See you next week.